Welcome to the Rationalish Podcast. I'm your co-host Morgan Wack, and I'm with the unflappable Eddie Matthews. Welcome back to a nice old debrief episode. It'll be a quick one. So do you, want to, do you want to just mention for people that don't really know who he is? We said he's the Senate Majority Leader from Kentucky. He's the Senate Majority Leader um, in the Senate, uh, the co-equal branch of Congress. Mm-hmm. He uh, was the Senate Minority Leader during the first uh, Obama um, administration. Uh, sorry, term. And then he became majority leader after uh, the Republicans won um, won the Senate. That actually might have just been two years into Obama's. So mm. I, might, I might, sorry, I might have mm. um, had that wrong. So 2010, I think he became Senate majority leader um, rather than 2012. Mm. Um, and so basically, I'm just going to go through why I think he's destructive to our democracy. And it doesn't have to do with him being Republican or being conservative. So we're we're essentially, for the episode, we're trying to say, is the brand of politician that McConnell represents disruptive to democracy, and is there any way to disengage? Is that that more or less? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. The brand of politician being, uh, he cares about winning above everything, and... And we'll get into the kind of counter argument to my argument. Absolutely, uh, later I, about I would that. say my main distinction for for him is he he represents it's like you said it's political brilliance in that he's so populist that it's it's harder to hate somebody that's amoral than somebody that's immoral. Somebody that's mm. immoral you can disagree with so vehemently because you can see mm. from their shoes and you see that they're wrong. Somebody that's amoral you can't even picture what it is they believe in in the first place. They're only there yeah. to compete. They're only there to switch their allegiances and their morals in a way that makes them uh, indispensable to their political goals. That's a that's an excellent way of putting it. And also, how do you hate someone so boring? True. <laughs> like, how can you hate, again? How can that, you hate turtles? That leads. Nobody hates huh? the turtle and the tortoise. And the, <laughs> <laughs> the hair and the tortoise. This is all conspiracy. Like he got plastic surgery to look more like a turtle he, just because everybody to, loves turtles. Exactly. Yeah. He probably used to look and because exactly they're so like Carl Tucker. Tame and innocent. You would never you would never think of a turtle as being um malicious in he, any way. He probably used to look exactly like Tucker Carlson and he just looks too much like someone you wanted to punch. And he had Tucker his... <laughs> Carlson, that guy's naughty. Have you heard some of the things he said? No, that's what I'm saying. Ooh. He probably if he looked like that Everyone would be like Mitch McConnell would be the most hated man in America, but instead he looks right. like he looks be like, like a turtle. Mitch McConnell. Yeah, Mitch McConnell said some naughty things on <laughs> yeah. Bubba the Love Sponge too. <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge better start paying us for this uh, <laughs> impromptu advertising. Seriously. Okay, so part of the reason, uh, let's go into specifics about why I'm frustrated. Um, frustrated doesn't even begin to describe it. I actually think he's destructive to our democracy. Let me understand. Uh, go away. Um, Okay, so some older examples. Um, the night of Obama's inauguration, he and a bunch of kind of, you know, the Republican powerhouse, basically Kevin McCarthy, Paul Ryan, um, 
kind of the who's who of uh, Republican leadership uh, gets meets in this DC uh, restaurant and they like mope apparently from the reports from, uh, I don't know, Washington post or um, Sandy who was interesting that day. Yeah. (laughs) They, they just spent like the first hour like moping. And then, so they basically came in just completely dejected didn't know if they were going to, you know, have to wait a generation before winning another election mm-hmm. um, cuz they just got like completely not just the presidency but they lost, you know, house and senate too. So it was huge like blow. Yeah. Um and then they left like exuberant apparently according to this reporting, right? Um and part of and this is actually disputed, you know, among like different sources, but one of the sources talks about how the plan became deny deny deny. Anything Obama wants to do um, say no. Like Obama ran in the 2008 campaign, uh, trying to, to end the polarization and division in Washington, wanting to bring the parties together, wanting to extend a hand and kind of do some work, um, bipartisan, uh, in a bipartisan way. And according to senior kind of Obama officials, in the early days of the presidency, they were like actively told by the president to like go and seek Republican kind of opinion and approval for mm-hmm. different things. I'm sure there's a lot of conservative people just being like, that's bullshit. But uh, according to the Obama people, you know, the this is what was happening. And then so McConnell basically uh, the strategy is that don't allow Obama in any way um, – to enable bipartisanship because those uh, legislative victories will become Obama victories and not conservative victories if they're bipartisan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just became specifically like premeditated gridlock and just um, roadblocking Obama at every single turn possible and like grinding the government to a halt. You saw this with uh, the 2013 shutdown um, with that Ted Cruz led. Like it became just making Obama a one-term president, uh, which I believe Mitch McConnell's uh, quoted as saying, um, rather than doing what, like you're, you're in the opposition party. I'm not asking Mitch McConnell to be a cheerleader for the other side, but bipartisan um, support on issues that poll 80% across Americans is a reasonable ask, I would say. Absolutely. So do you think, so the problem here is like he represents intransigence. Just the the problem is that intransigence works in the current system. It's so constructed around norms and the idea that you're going to take the democratic uh, kind of consensus or the democratic majority that the president has and allow him to dictate terms, him or her to dictate terms. And the problem is that when you don't do that, when you lean into this obstructive policymaking, you can not only stymie the president and the other party, but you can actually lead to a decline in approval for the other party because people expect the party with the presidency to get things done. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's really well put. And also, um, if like, so this is my point. He 
defaults to intransigence because it's um, effective for his party above everything at the expense of American democracy. I think this is demonstrated by, um, so Obama in, you know, six months before the election in 2000, uh, it would have been 2016. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So six months before the election, Mm -hmm. um, they start to get reports and then it's confirmed kind of, you know, as they wait for more intelligence to come in, um, reports that Russia is actively, trying to influence our election by getting Donald Trump elected. So the intelligence says that Russia, you know, uh, is, you know, through cyber warfare, like actually tampering with it. The allegations aren't, you know, that the Trump, it's not collusion claim. It's just like Russia is um, trying to influence the election. And Obama is like, look, I want this to be a bipartisan um, stance that we are going to rebuff this, um, uh, attack from Russia and impose sanctions to show that this is not okay. And this is, this should be a bipartisan thing because yeah. it's on our election. I don't want this to come solely from my administration because I don't want it to seem that I'm trying to influence the outcome of the election. And it really because should I'm not. be I'm a uniting to... issue. I mean, if there's any uniting issues, it's, I mean, not, not just another country colluding against the United States, not colluding, but uh, like basically coming up with a plan to take down the United States, but it's Russia Literally yeah. our enemy, number one enemy for decades. We, yeah. <laughs> the, and the, like and the party enemy. of Reagan was yeah. like, nah. <laughs> it's no, like, like McConnell was the one to make um, the response way more tepid than it should have been. And so he just would not support um, the presidency in like in creating a, a bipartisan rebuttal to this attack. Um, and so he, he was very kind of, um, obstructionist in, in that respect when the out, when the very kind of foundation of electing our president was at stake. Um, and so I pulled that against him. Uh, his, his support for the national emergency, Trump's national emergency, even though like a couple weeks before he said that he did not, support the national emergency. And that might be like, you're just, you know, uh, nitpicking there. Like you could pick any type of policy that he flip flops. I mean, that's the problem is that every policy he flip flops on. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Like national emergency, like this one is important. Yeah. Like this could be very important. Like I, you could make the case like, Oh, Mitch McConnell respects the institutions. You know, he always talks about constitution respecting Mm -hmm. the institutions of government. And, you know, he talks about, I listened to an interview of him today just talking about how, you know, Trump's not going to be bad for America because in any case, like there's constraints on the president and like, you can't just do anything as president. It's like, well, the more you erode those constraints that are built in the separations of powers in the constitution, the more you make it so that anyone can come in and become a dictator, even in, um, a constitution that's really well built against that. And so something like, uh, Congress using the power of the purse to um, not include something in the president's agenda, and then the president declaring a national emergency and reallocating the exact amount of funding that he asked from Congress that Congress denied him is like I don't know how to like put this other, like you that's eroding. That's exactly yeah. what we're talking about eroding the separation of powers. He is 
moving forward with his agenda. And you'd be like, oh, well, look at all of Obama's executive orders. It's like, no, he never went directly against Congress after he was denied specifically for a thing and then specifically doing that thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah. Another thing is blocking the Merrick Garland uh, Supreme Court nominee. So Obama nominates um, Merrick Garland or starts the nomination process yeah. in March. Um, and Obama in March has at that point um, eight months before the election. And it didn't, you know, so that was when the process started. So it wasn't like he nominated him in March. But process begins. And then McConnell doesn't even give him a hearing. This is a sitting president using his presidential powers to specifically nominate a Supreme Court justice. And McConnell doesn't even allow him to have a hearing. And this, and this is someone who was well qualified for the position. Like this is the, and then he talks about justifying it by saying it's the Biden rule, because he digs up some inter, some uh, nineteen ninety two C span footage of Joe Biden saying that a lame duck president shouldn't be able to you know nominate someone to a Supreme Court seat and let the American people choose. And he digs this up from nineteen ninety two, calls it the Biden rule, and then just rides that over and over and it's like the biden rule this isn't this isn't precedent like you dug up something that biden said and it wasn't even like legislation or anything it's 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 one thing that he said on c-span on the senate floor and it's like yeah he advocated for but that doesn't become like some sort of quasi precedent so let's that you can then justify (laughs) denying the presidential powers as he's a sitting president months before the election. So I want like, you to make uh, I want you to make an informal Eddie rule here. How exactly would you combat this? Or how do you think the Democrats or the Republicans within McConnell's party should combat this type of behavior? Because I do think that the garlic issue, Garland issue is emblematic of the type of politics that has been kind of normalized under Trump. The idea that you can disregard bipartisanship in favor of strict strategic politics. That has, in a way, been what separated America from policy uh, fiascos and politics disasters that have happened in democracies across the world. This kind of populist resurgence. How exactly do you think we can fight against this? Do you think there's a way to fight against this? Or do you think it has to be legislated from the top down on some sort of massive mandate is it up to the democrats to basically legislate in the norms that used to be taken for granted um i think it's a couple things i think i think it goes back to the reason why pete Buttigieg is so appealing to me is that i think that you get the public mandate from the american people um and that and that might seem like broad and naive so let me get more specific um so if you remember the family separation policy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, up until that point, Trump had evangelical Christians and the whole conservative like in his pocket and still does to a large degree. But he had everything like he, he hadn't been denied anything. And after eight days of this family separation policy, there's a kid weeping like saying like to be reunited like like where's my where's my mother yeah and the audio of that hits youtube goes viral 
and the people start like donating, you know, raising like $25 million to like start, you know, like getting lawyers to like start uh, reconciling these families. And Trump flip-flops in eight days. And we had not seen that before at Mm -hmm. all. And we haven't seen it since. And you saw huge, like from the religious right that Trump uh, kind of corrupted and co-opted. Um, they came out against us, which was a huge deal because they had been complicit in all of the other bullshit yeah. that he had done. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really powerful and that was the public mandate. So I think like as far as how that translates, like it's getting somebody who articulates a unifying vision of what it means to be American and then implements that and constantly like refers back to that. So I think that JFK did that really well. Um, I think that the way I'm not that Buttigieg is the new JFK, but the way that like I hear him talking about things is really well. So as far as like when you get into Congress and actually dealing with the Mitch McConnell type, I think you have to have to really as much as you can appeal to the broader like American public and constantly try to like amplify the messaging that you are in alignment with the American people and figure out the way to like constantly um, put that messaging towards the forefront and like the pulling in the data and like that noise and that pressure. Um, because I think that if you can show that you have most of Americans on your side, it makes things a lot easier. Otherwise it's just a dogfight, and you're going to be, um, you're just going to stoop to Mitch McConnell's level and you're just going to have, Worse gridlock than anyone's ever seen, which, um, I'll get to like the, the last of his sins, <laughs> uh, campaign finance positions. Um, he was a huge proponent of saying that corporations, dark money should be protected under freedom of speech uh-huh. and that corporations th- giving money is equivalent to an individual's freedom of speech, which is so like unbelievable like such a huge leap of logic yeah yeah that i can't even fathom (laughs) like i cannot i cannot fathom that like leap like an individual freedom of speech protected by the constitution and a corporation donating money to a campaign and not disclosing who donated that money i I have no words for that, man. Like, honestly, the logic of protecting that under the First Amendment freedom of speech. 